0: It's November 20th, 2023. This is the Rook Roundtable. Welcome to the Rook Roundtable. I'm Gian Gomeshi. Hello to you from Toronto. Hello to you from Canada. Salam Dustan Aziz. Durud Basham. I hope you are doing well wherever you are tuning in from around the world. We at Rook Media are on our ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity or just have conversations from, to, and about the Iranian diaspora and beyond. It is the Monday Roundtable where we examine, discuss, debate issues, ideas, fun stuff of the week in the Iranian diaspora. In the studio, she's our regular Rook Roundup specialist and a producer for us here, smart Pega Ganji. Hello, Pega. Hello. Also in the studio, an Iranian-Canadian marketing strategist and designer, Resonant. Raharu,
1: Hello.
0: The triple R, hello. That was a very seductive hello. Oh.
1: <laughs> hello. <laughs>
0: wasn't meant that way. <laughs> well, yeah. And joining us from Washington DC this week, he is a distinguished distinguished Iranian Canadian cartoonist, journalist, and blogger. He is known among Iranians for his regular presence on BBC Persian, Iran International, Radio Faradaw. He also runs a website called Obangan, Obanganiran.org, which covers Iran's water crisis. He's been deeply involved in exposing environmental issues and discussing democracy in Iran for years. Please welcome Heng Kossar. Hi there. Hello. Good to have you, Nick.
2: Likewise. Good to be with you.
0: All right. Four topics for this Monday roundtable. By the way, I was going to tell you guys, I was going to catch you up on something, mm-hmm. which is that, uh, remember we had the conversation about the coffee and how Nescafé. I I drink no no not 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 Nescafe. How I drink yesterday's coffee. Oh, yes, by you. putting it in the microwave. Uh-huh. Because I don't want to you oh, eat. Sure.
3: I don't want to waste the coffee. Okay.
0: So literally, oh, you want to saffage you I that's right. I want to. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Good catch. I don't
0: I don't want to not savor duh. Yeah. That's yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So today. Uh-huh. Uh, almost like the universe intervening okay. saying sometimes forget the savagery right waste the coffee brew some new stuff today i put the the coffee right. in the in the microwave you know how sometimes like you want to press 22 seconds and you end up pressing 2 minutes and 22 mm-hmm. seconds like that thing oh you nuked your coffee i nuked my coffee <laughs> <laughs> and the coffee exploded. Wow. Not the container. Like the wow. container the t- the container was intact. Okay. But the coffee was I heard an explosion. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and then I was like, "Oh my god, it's been some 10 minutes since I put the coffee in the <laughs> nuclear machine. From the universe. <laughs> I opened it and there was coffee all over the microwave, but the the container, but so the coffee was reacting. It was saying, See? "Listen, uh, this ain't no Persian tea. <laughs> don't be so. I thought protective. Don't have such propriety over over me. I the was gearing said.
3: up to, uh, to hear you say that you know it's spilt in your car or something like that, yeah. and that no. was going to be gormasabzi and coffee.
0: Uh, yeah. Would well, that it would spill in my car to offset <laughs> the smell of Korma sabzi. Long story, you don't need to hear it right now, Nick. But uh, anyway, uh, that is um, the universe paid me a. Le- there you go. You know, for for those of you who don't believe in nuking your coffee the next <laughs> day. Uh, that's what happened today. Uh, for this this roundtable, we usually have four topics. Uh, for this Monday, here are the four topics. Uh, we will go through them one by one. The first up is going to be suspending Khamenei on X, formerly known as Twitter, the artist <laughs> formerly known as Prince. Uh, that's a that that's a suspending Khamenei on X with a question mark. Should Ayatollah Khamenei, the supreme leader, be suspended, be banned, be canceled for his notable inaccuracies, misinformation, and hate speech on Twitter or not. Uh, we'll get to that question, which is relevant again. Elon Musk has just been asked about it this week and gave an answer. Second um, uh, point on the round table, um, the heroic and um, and uh, famous rapper Tumaj has been released mm-hmm. from uh, an Esfahan prison. What does this say what does his early release, at least, given that he was meant to spend years in, in prison, despite his horrible treatment in prison, what does it say about the state of the uprising and the regime? I want to hear from all of you guys on that. Number three, Iranians and insta-filters. <laughs> there is a hook to this <laughs> from the last couple of days. And, and are Iranians disproportionately into presenting alternative versions of themselves in social media, <laughs> using filters and and editing equipment, etc. Uh, and finally, Pahlavi positioning, a new interview with uh, Reza Pahlavi and some of the things he said. The interview itself, what does it say about where um, the Shahzadeh has sort of positioned himself at this point vis-a-vis moving forward with Iran? It's a notable interview. It's already got um, um, well over half a million views in a couple of days. So we'll talk a bit about that as well. Ready? Mm-hmm, okay. Let's do it. Nick, you good? Yep. All right. Number one, suspending Khamenei on X. So um, should Ayatollah Khamenei be suspended on Twitter? The uh, Iranian supreme leader is notorious for using his Twitter accounts to incite hate and violence and disinformation, yet his many accounts in multiple languages, by mm-hmm. the way, still <laughs> exist on the platform. Uh, languages include Persian, English, Spanish... Um, post, he regularly posts content um, that would um, and perhaps should violate Twitter or X's policies. So Elon Musk has said he will suspend those, uh, for example, advocating genocide on his platform, but not Khamenei. And let me read from an article that came out the last couple of days in Arab News, uh, and and it says, uh, Elon Musk has defended his decision to allow figures like Ali Khamenei, Iran's supreme leader, to use his social networking platform X by referring to a concept he called, this is Elon Musk called, the UN exclusion rule. During an interview on Joe Rogan's podcast, the entrepreneur drew a comparison between the presence of officials from sanctioned countries at UN buildings and their presence on his social media platform. Musk said we do have a kind of UN exclusion rule. You can have, say, the Ayatollah who would prefer that Israel not exist, but he's allowed to go to the UN building in New York. Generally, officials from Iran do go to the UN building, even though they've been uh, heavily sanctioned countries. Similarly, you do want to have the leaders of countries represented on social media. You want to hear what they have to say even if what they say is terrible. Um, According to the UN, officials from sanctioned countries including Iran are allowed to visit its buildings in New York for diplomatic purposes based on fundamental principles of international diplomacy and the host country's obligations to the UN. So should Ayatollah Khamenei be suspended on Twitter is the question. What do you think, Pega?
3: So I know there's, you know, a lot of argument um around this question, around this topic. And I think one of the the main arguments that I've heard a lot is, well, if Trump was banned on X or Twitter or whatever it's called now, um, why are officials from, you know, these types of governments, whether it's China or the Islamic Republic and so on, allowed to continue using the site to spread essentially propaganda? And although I understand that, I think there's something to be said for the fact that, you know, first of all, it's hard enough for governments and NGOs and, you know, the UN and, and so on and so forth to try and constitute a democratic government or what's not, um, let alone to allow someone like Elon Musk be the decision maker on something like that. That's the first thing. And the other thing is that, you know, we're in a time where there is such escalating geopolitical tensions that I think limiting the conversation would do more harm than good. How so? Um, You know, let's take the example of PS752. Um, when that was taking place, we saw tweets from Zarif and Trump back and forth throughout the entire process of actually finding some truth behind the matter. And there's, you know, been reports saying that the fact that they were both able to make statements, however misleading they were, is actually what caused um, for the escalation, not for the for the situation not to escalate further. So it was that openness. It was that ability to have those conversations. It was the ability for the global audience to see those misrepresentations and misleading spins that resulted in, you know, continuing and finding out more about the situation.
0: Okay. Uh, I've got some comeback on that, but let me hear from others first. Nick?
3: Look, uh,
2: if Elon Musk owns Twitter or X, whatever we want to call it, he has the right to do whatever he wants, but... Uh, he's now counting on the participants in this big conversation, millions of people uh, being on this platform. That's how he can contain, uh, how he can uh, continue making money if he makes money out of it. Because I've heard that he's lost a lot of money. Yeah. But my own opinion is that, first of all, if we consider uh, Khamenei, um, somebody who spreads hatred and somebody who is a symbol of terrorism, why should we give a platform to a terrorist? Mm-hmm. On the other hand, uh, some say that, OK, when we, you give this platform to somebody like Khamenei, he, it's, he's like a rattlesnake. Whenever he just uh, rattles, you can understand where he wants to go, what, who he wants to uh, sting but we know he's a snake you know he's a monster so what what you want to learn more about him so I don't think um when millions of Iranians have problems connecting to X or Twitter and they have to go through VPNs and other uh things to get connected why should somebody like Khamenei be able to join and even I had this problem with Zarif there's um this um i don't know i can't say double standard triple standard whatever you want to call it. people were not allowed to go on twitter the judiciary um summoned so many people just because of tweeting but zarif was on twitter yeah. so on by that means i believe um, something should be done if i owned twitter or x i would have uh banned khamenei if Hitler were alive would you give such a platform to Hitler did you give to Baghdadi did you give to uh, people from uh, Al-Qaeda no you cut them off
0: okay and so if, you're if you consider, you're, you're on the side of um suspend them keep them off Twitter uh, yeah. X whatever it's called um Raha
1: yeah you know you know how I was confused um but I think I I um I agree more with with Nick on this Um, And I look at it more from a social point of view. It's called social media because you see a lot of people there. There are people that are living, many of whom, when they're Iranian, many of whom have been affected by this person directly. Um, And many of whom, when they see see Khamenei's name, they get a little maybe offended even by saying by seeing his name so um if we're creating a safe space online for people to have a conversation should a dictator be allowed on this platform when he is actually just as nick said um not allowing other people to to share their opinion Mm. um so i who determines the
0: a safe space online
1: Mm -hmm. What do you mean? Who determines? Well,
0: I mean, <laughs> it's hardly it's, it's a been, safe space. It's been online. anything but a safe space for me. I mean, what is it a safe space for you? Yeah. And whether khamenei's on or not, I don't no, feel safe in. But, but,
1: but there's there's a limit to how how violent you can allow this platform to be. I'm gonna draw an example. So in 2009 2019, uh, there was this uh, this girl called Bianca Devins who was murdered by his boyfriend right on social media. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he actually like posted a video of it and he gained a lot of fame. And it was right after this incident where Instagram came and, and they were like, okay, we need to put some restrictions because this this content cannot be shared sure. on our platform. Sure. And, and um, on the other hand, It became such a big thing that everybody was posting it it got it became the biggest topic of that time to the point that her family were so hurt that they started this other campaign and they called it um, pink for Bianca something like pink clouds for Bianca or something so the point is no. It's it, the safe space has to be. Um, I, I don't mean it. To, to, uh, I don't mean you can you can create a completely safe space, but to to a very good extent, you have to limit how provoking um, someone can be on the platform.
0: Straight. Let me. I, I see you've got your hand <laughs> up, Pega, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is very orderly. But let me. Uh, let me. Um, um, uh, let me just come back on a couple of things before I go to you, Pega. Uh, first of all i i think it's ghastly it's horrendous to see khamenei mm-hmm. on x somebody for even you know more of recent uh, israel shouldn't exist mm-hmm. you know these kind of things that uh, that would be considered or should be considered hate speech by uh, by normal standards you right. know um but funny enough, and I've got so many problems with the guy, and and all the things that he's saying, and the, and the way he conducts himself, and even some of his some of the recent statements, which I do believe to be anti-Semitic, or mm-hmm. the things he had been posting, and some of the crazy stuff he does. But I actually feel like Elon Musk is making a good point here, mm-hmm. which is that when it comes to world leaders or people of significance. I do want to hear what they have to say. I do want to see what they have to say. In other words, if you're some kid in some university in Alberta that's, you know, posting hateful shit, yeah, keep you, I mean, I know, I recognize that this is, there's a double standard here, but Mm -hmm. I would say, yes, that person should not be on X fomenting their hate speech. But when it comes to Khamenei, I think we should, the world should be able to see what's Mm -hmm. going on. Let me go one thing further, which is that I do believe that protecting ourselves from seeing things like unfortunately that horse has left the barn so to speak that that and this came up this week with the osama bin laden letter Mm -hmm. Did you guys follow that thing which is which was the the, the osama bin laden letter yeah madness i I can't even
3: believe we're at that point for
0: some reason on some campuses without a proper education of what's <laughs> going on in the world, uh, you know this. This letter has reemerged, mm-hmm. and and some folks um, are sympathetic to it, or thought that it was you know made some good points or something. It's uh, but that being what it is, it's it is considered hateful to some. So the Guardian uh, that I think had originally posted or something like that removes the Osama bin Laden letter mm-hmm. from its website or from its you know uh, platforms. And I thought that that was kind of ridiculous Mm -hmm. in the sense that you don't think people can find the fucking Osama like, bin Laden letter? Like, you, you know, this is we're at. We're not at the point where we could actually shield each other from these things. Yeah. Why make it taboo and increase the incentive for some young person to go? Oh, they don't want us to see this. What does it say, right? In fact, hey, in. Put, put it put it up there. Give us the historical context of it. Tell us wh- who this person is. I mean, if that can exist, and I recognize that's asking a lot, but the idea that we can just shut things down. And so, when it comes to Khomeini, unfortunately, I. Think no, we've got to know what this dude is is saying, um, uh, even if he's the 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 supreme leader of a murderous regime. Pega had your hand. You had your hand up first. Let's go <laughs> to you then, Nick
3: yeah i mean first of all with this whole osama bin laden thing i think it's ridiculous the reality of the internet is you post something even for a split second and i guarantee you somewhere out someone somewhere out there is going to screenshot save whatever and there's going to be a way to find it so that's the age that we live in and that's just the reality of it so i think that takes us back to you know the whole safe space idea i don't i think that You know the digital age and social media and all of that is already not a safe space we already know that there's this potential for all sorts of things and if anything i actually agree with you jian i think we should be teaching and targeting for lack of a better word those individuals who are you know the the activist university student or some random person who's just sitting behind a computer and spewing hate online that's something that we can try and control and limit but it's actually important to see Someone as big of a monster as Khamenei spewing hate, because that just sheds more light onto the reality of what the Islamic Republic is. I mean, for the past year and a half, we've been saying, we've been trying to educate, quote unquote, Westerners and everyone else who's not Iranian and not as involved and doesn't know the nuances and everything else of exactly those details, and they're always ten steps behind. Well, when Khamenei comes on and says something about wiping Israel off the map, everyone understands that. There's well, no need for nuance. That
0: said. That, that there is a platform then for him to say something that yeah. for, for those who don't have the context and maybe pro-Palestinian whatever to go, oh, this guy's our ally, mm-hmm. uh, which we, we again have stated, we don't believe the yeah. supreme leader of Iran is any real ally of the Palestinian of people. But um, Nick, jump in.
2: Look, uh, Khamenei has lots of platforms to spread his hatred against Israel, against opponents of the regime, And uh, giving a gift to a murderer, giving a platform to a murderer, to a to somebody who is so evil, I think is just uh, handing him another bone. It's it's too much. And I cannot believe that we uh, uh, we uh, penalize people for very small things, cut them off of uh, Twitter because of, let's say, a few. comments or whatever other people dislike and report them to Twitter and Mm -hmm. they're just censored. But somebody like Khamenei, who is just spreading hatred, can stay there. So I believe there is a double standard here. And I think, um, Elon Musk wants to stay
0: controversial Mm. and Yeah, that's a good point, too. That's a fair point. Raha?
1: Yeah. I think you guys have a really idealized version of the universe where Khamenei is, like, the only person, the only evil person, and no one is on his team. (laughs) Like, when he goes on Twitter or X and he puts out all the content that he does, he's got fans. If he doesn't, he will gain fans. Mm. That's, the, that's the idea behind social media. You can express yourself and you can get followers. You can get people to come to your cause and join you. And that's what he's doing. And it's to some very good extent working for him in this particular situation with uh, Palestine and Israel. So, no, I don't agree with, um, with, oh, let's just see what this guy says because the world will know. I mean, how many times have you seen him um, lie, spew hatred and other, like we as Iranians well, We didn't know say let's just
0: see what this guy says. We said we can't put our head in the sand. Mm-hmm. and that we should let the world leader who, of the murderous dictatorship expose himself and, and we should be make our voices as loud as possible I to explain what, what he's actually saying. To
1: Nick's point, he, he's got his own channels and he's got many different platforms through which we can, we can learn about him and learn about what he's doing and all this stuff. And we don't need to um, allow him to be on this platform that he has banned from most people in Iran.
0: Just out of curiosity, Nick, would you have... Um, Um, remove the Osama Bin Laden uh, letter from your pages the way the Guardian did?
2: Uh, Actually, I wouldn't have published it. Hmm. One, if I'm Guardian, I have to know there are some uh, standards.
0: Even that, though, I kind of think we're so we're afraid to allow people to read things. Yeah. What should we? No, no, not? no, no. I mean, it, like we, can, we that's isn't talk. that look. doesn't that lead to banning Mein Kampf? Like, you can
2: tell a story about it. It's different. You can write, you can describe and people can go and find it. Mm-hmm. But you, it's it's like the discussion about the Danish cartoons. Mm. OK, there there are different ideas, although the uh, editor of that newspaper is my friend, I had this discussion with him that you could publish, let's say the cartoons of Mohammed and you can do whatever you want, but you do this with, let's say the King of Denmark. Do you do this with other individuals? And then at the end he said, uh, no. (laughs) So if we we want to talk about, let's say um, equality in, this matter no some things are it seems that some people are more equal than others
0: yeah mm-hmm. and we do regularly talk about how toxic a place the online space mm-hmm. has become and how it's fueling so much toxicity or you know anger and all of that out there so so i am hearing this as well the mm-hmm. points about what you know um why add the the supreme leader fuel to the the, the fire but uh, but ethically or not ethically I think um educationally it 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 bothers me
3: and historically too. historically I mean, the thing I was going to say about the Osama bin Laden letter whatever it was is then whose responsibility is it to post it if not the Guardian if not you know the media outlets and and things like that and I understand the concept of writing a story about it but what's to be said for actually having access to information then
0: yeah, although we know we all would agree that there's guidelines around what should be right. you know we, we, we mm-hmm. you know we don't want child porn to of be course. put you know made available, Absolutely. right? So we have to kind of where where are the guidelines where where do we draw the lines and for whom? and I'm sensitive to this double standard, but Nick, what do you think of that u n rule? I mean it, it, I, funny enough, actually, maybe the U.N. rule shouldn't exist. I mean, maybe maybe, maybe lahiyan <laughs> Abdel- I, I, I don't buy it.
2: Should... Look, I don't buy it. And let, let's, when you talk about censorship, um, Washington Post censored one of its cartoons last week, or a few days ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a cartoon by Michael Ramirez, this uh, two-time Pulitzer Prize winner, who's a conservative and drew um, uh, the, one of the leaders of Hamas, shielding himself by people he had... Uh, like children, uh, people um, using them as a human shield. Right. And um, so many uh, progressives got angry and they removed the cartoon. They and it became a big um, point talking point here in DC and other corners about freedom of speech. And also, if that cartoon was Islamophobic or anti Arab, right. whatever you can call right. it. So, yeah, it, it's a sensitive time and people may have lots of opinions, but uh, I think it's good to study them.
0: Last point to you, Rahul.
1: Um, another point I wanted to make is you guys think that people have enough energy and effort to go online and search up and actually look, look for something that's already not there? I think a major, the majority of people care a lot about accessibility. And if something is not spread around and if it's not available, they will not go and look for it. So to say that. Well, I, think that I
0: don't think that's another point. I think it's the same point you already made. You, that we live in an idealized world somehow. No,
1: no, no. That, that was a different point. This is, uh, was that a different point? This is Sounds a different like point. you're making the it same all point. Comes and down for some reason, you and I are in the same I camp. Know. We've never
0: been. You guys. In this you know, one. In yeah. this one, you guys uh, uh, are in right. <laughs> same camp. Same uh, but, you, but you don't believe that if. So, so in the case of the Osama bin Laden, actually, I am sympathetic to the idea that this Osama bin Laden letter, there was a guy who tweeted this and, and uh, said, this is going viral. And it was that tweet that actually made it that go viral. viral it was so, yeah. so, it's kind of like, if you don't put it in front of people, then maybe it won't. But I, I just don't think banning Donald Trump from Twitter made Donald Trump go away no, you know definitely I mean it, it, if anything it, it made him more mm-hmm. of a hero you know to those who follow him and support him
3: Do you I really think gained so? followers for him if anything I I don't know
1: um I don't think so actually
0: Hmm. Well, he's leading in the polls in America, (laughs) in Nick's country, or at least Nick's adopted country. Good luck. (laughs) Uh, uh, Let's go to item number two on uh, today's roundtable. And Tumaj Salehi being released. This is the Iranian rapper who uh, I think we all... um, would have celebrated on one level or another, seeing him released. There was prominent Iranians around the world posting pictures of him. He uh, had been detained since his arrest last year for showing support for anti-government protests. protests he was released on bail uh, from an Isfahan uh, prison on Sunday uh, the 33-year-old rapper spent a year and 21 days in prison, including 252 days in solitary, during which he was subject to physical injuries. This is according to his official page on social media website X, mm-hmm. formerly known as Twitter. I mean, when can we stop saying oh, the formerly known? I don't known, even know. Yeah. Just it's a, the whole th- It's a disaster. Uh, I'm curious. You know, I saw the Tumaj release and obviously was, was kind of filled with... Um, well, I was very happy for him mm-hmm. and for those who so passionately fought to get him released. Of course, there are many others still in- incarcerated. He he had become sort of a cause celebre and so people knew about him and talked about him. And uh, and it was good to see him in, in seemingly, I mean, I, I don't doubt that he's been through um, physical and psychological torture, but he, he seemed okay, he was mm-hmm. in one piece but i also thought what's the because i don't trust anything the islamic republic regime does i thought what's the what's going on here mm-hmm. why release him now what's a, and i wondered if it if it represented some sort of point of inflection for what we have been calling the uprising that began over a year ago uh, uh, 14 months ago with the killing of Masa amini and whether this in a weird way may be represented the deflation or the end of the uprising in that if if the uprising was still a flame, if there was a real threat to the regime, it would seem in their eyes, it would seem to me the last thing they would do would be to to release Tumaj Salehi that they had they had deftly stick-handled into a jail term that had kind of become accepted or acceptable to a lot of Iranian um, protesters and activists because it at least wasn't a death sentence, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a curious move, I, I, I can't begin to imagine all the reasons why this happened that I'm not even considering, but, but on the question of does it represent, what does it represent vis-a-vis change in Iran, I just thought I'd throw that at you guys as our second point today, and Nick, let me begin with you. What are your thoughts?
2: I think um, the judiciary and the system are actually sending out this message that uh, we're not scared of too much anymore. Um, And we've contained the situation. Um, If true, if that's the message, they're confident. But um, I think it's too soon to uh, read into the leaves and we have to, see what are the reasons because uh, first of all Tumaj, although he's from isfahan he's also a bakhtiari and uh i i've heard that so many people uh in the bakhtiari clan vouched for him and i'm not sure if we're getting all the information today but the first message i got from his freedom was that uh the uprising is out we don't have it anymore and the regime is confident that uh, tumadj cannot harm the system because in the f- very first days of the uprising tumadj was very active yeah and was sending out messages all along the the agents were following him were trying to arrest him but i don't get it anymore
0: yeah that's kind of my point My reaction was, my 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 literally within you know the same minute was, Tumaj is released. Oh, Tumaj is released. Like Mm -hmm. what? Great, but what does that actually represent? And I I, that's exactly my point. That um, that while we can't read into the tea leaves maybe excessively that that why would the regime do this if they considered him or the situation to still be a a dire threat Uh, especially because there was no other i mean there was no reason to he's sort of it's all been Mm -hmm. done and he's locked away and you know uh raho
1: i was actually very happy that he was released but um um, just same as you, I was confused as to what what the reason could be. I looked around for um, news, and I found out that in in southern, especially parts of Iran, there have been some some uprisings. I don't know how accurate the news that I got is because it's from outside of Iran, and we know that that's not you, maybe that that's not um, accurate sometimes. Um, but if that's the case, sometimes we've seen that. Um, the IRGC what it does is when uprising starts they they do (laughs) they give out candies almost like um, okay here's this prisoner and here's this prisoner and so now be quiet you know so that that could be a possibility so
0: you almost think that you have the it could be the opposite that because there's there's something boiling boiling we we should throw a bone by releasing too much and deflating this the situation interesting Pago,
3: i just think this was a show of power by the islamic republic the reality is that you know there's still thousands of prisoners being tortured imprisoned just unjustly every few hours there's one person who's hanged to death there's families of individuals who have either been murdered or imprisoned who are still being harassed day in and day out um you know i'm happy that too much was released but the reality is we don't know the conditions of his bail. We still don't know why it was that, you know, he was he was freed on bail. Was it medical? Was it due to something else? Um, we don't know what exactly he went through during the time that he was there. Surely it was physical and mental torture. Um, and all of this is just, you know, to me, basically the Islamic Republic did this and is kind of saying, even if he's out there, he's not going to do anything else. So it's just the same as him being imprisoned. Mm. They they've essentially done something to him, I believe, that. Uh, except for the international pressure and you know people in the diaspora kind of pressing on this fact that they wanted him released what's what's going to happen with him being free now is he is he going to be able to be vocal the same way he was what's going to happen to his family as we've seen to the family of so many others what's going to happen to him i mean just weeks ago we saw Nasreen who was arrested at the funeral of armita and um that was her attempt and yet someone as high profile as Nasreen was arrested and that was a show that was a show of power Nasreen's been released yes she's been released as As well well. same But the the point is that this this fear is still instilled upon people and it's kind of like this show of power saying no matter what you do we can still round you up we can still throw you in jail there's no rhyme or reason we will torture you we will imprison you we will hang you to death and that's just what it is
0: but can I just say um, Nick you know I mean for so many of us, you know, we were living and breathing 24-7. Those of us outside of Iran, mm-hmm. let alone the people who were on the front lines in Iran, right. this time last year, there was a real belief in the possibility that we are going to sooner than later see change in Iran, that this regime was on its last legs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then a few months ago, that you know, kind of transformed into, you know, the revolutions have ups and downs mm-hmm. and they go through, maybe there's a few weeks that'll be a little quieter, but the, the, the uprising is still happening. It's still, you know, in everybody's hearts and they're all ready to go. And, you know, and then there's a more, a further down the road version of that, which is, right. yeah, every few years there's going to be another uprising and it'll be bigger next time. Mm-hmm. And I don't think... Many people, including myself around the world, want to concede, perhaps that it's it's it hasn't happened this time that that <laughs> that that things have really died down. But that's certainly the way it feels, mm-hmm. Nick?
2: Uh, look, one thing that uh, comes to mind is that this movement was a leaderless movement. Mm-hmm. And though we thought that we may have, let's say, a group of people who could join forces and become the leadership, whatever you want to call it, of this movement, it didn't work out very well. And individuals got into infighting, fist fighting, whatever you want to call it. And it distracted many from the whole objective of getting rid of this regime and seek freedom and seek democracy. So, I think so many are, um, in a way, in a distrust mode, if you will, and uh, the regime had, has understood it. And and the regime is actually very good in uh, creating fights among <laughs> members of the opposition.
0: Mm.
2: And uh, when you see that some people who are arrested by the regime and um, were freed on bail after accepting possibly so many deals and then moved out of the country and then joined uh, different political leaders, you feel that, oh, they are somehow controlling these political leaders out of the country right now. So I don't want to name names, but uh, I don't think I can be hopeful uh, with these individuals who Mm -hmm. wanted to become the leaders of the movement and, uh, without a good leadership and without a good objective, I'm sure that the regime is really happy with what's happening with the diaspora and all those, uh, political figures out of the country.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really, really, really good Mm -hmm. point. Creating the kind of divisions we see in this roundtable, with Raha saying, <laughs> "You guys are being the, idealistic." These idealistic and, yeah, that really hurts you I think <laughs> I think the regime is behind it. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> there, there, the tentacles go far and wide uh, mm-hmm. to the Rook uh, roundtable. Uh, any other points you you, you guys want to make about this, um, the release of Tumaj and, and Nasrine?
3: Um, not so much a point, but I, I did want to um, read a quote from Tumaj upon his release, and I think this is something that a lot of people have either seen or read. But um, I, just saw, I just thought it was, it was amazing what he said, and, and I wanted to share that. So upon his release, he mentions, I thought the saddest situation was being alone under the tortures of time. Now I understand that being released alone when others are still detained is even more bitter. Yeah, I
0: thought that was great too. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, Good.
3: Yeah, all good. right,
0: we are coming to you on RookMedia.com. It's there that you can link to all of our platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Instagram, CastBox. If you want to see visuals with Rooks, switch over to YouTube. Uh, if you want your descriptions and bulletins in English and in Persian, check us out on Telegram. And if you want to support us, do us by pre- uh, do it do us do it by support you could also do it by pressing the support us button on the rook media website and that leads you to our patreon page where you can become a rook member rookmedia.com we really appreciate when you guys support all right number three of our four topics today uh, this is kind of a I guess it's kind of a fun one, but it may be the most consequential of, <laughs> of any of these topics when start. it comes to Iranians. Uh, I posted a little fun thing on my Instagram yesterday, um, and I can take absolutely no credit for the creativity of this, uh, this piece. It's a, a French journalist, cartoonist, actually artist, who drew this, um, uh, this picture of the Mona Lisa, and then it had the Mona Insta. Uh, and the suggestion being that the Mona Lisa in the day of, in the time of Instagram would be this highly edited, filtered kind of, um, different looking version of the Mona Lisa with a little pointy nose, high cheekbones, big breasts, and all the augmentation that can be done through, uh, social media apps and, uh, like Instagram. And, um... Funny enough, I get, there was a lot of people who liked this or or were were laughing at it, etc., and were sending me notes about it. But I felt like I just had a little suspicion <laughs> inside me that that this resonated for Iranians, resonated with Iranians somehow. That it, of course, is you know something that is universal. That you that that Instagram is is uh, that those filters weren't just created for a Persian audience and. Last time I looked, I don't think the Kardashians are Iranian, uh, but I do feel like it's something that Iranians do. I feel like it's like a it's it's that augmentation thing that can happen in the physical way also happens when it comes to the social media apps, and um, so. Am I being too hard on our people or the people of our ancestry? I see nodding yes. all the way around. Raha, go ahead. Yes, and maybe don't, don't say, say you guys that. this time because I think Peg is I'm disagreeing gonna, with you. No, me I'm going to say you. Yeah, thank you. Yes, go ahead.
1: <laughs> um, for, I want to ask you a question. Why do you think that? Why do you think it's Iranians?
0: Because I think Iranians have a. Uh, oh. It's a tough one. But I mean, I would point to the statistic, which is that over 94% of Iranian women get a nose job. But I want to. So, <laughs> exactly. Okay. Exactly. So you're going to come back. Cause, and, yes. and I wouldn't say this is limited to Iranian women, by the way. I'd say Iranian men, too. We have a very um, sometimes difficult relationship with our looks. And we, w- given the opportunity to use filters to, <laughs> to, to beautify ourselves, uh, we might take it. And less so
1: than I, women though right less so than Iranian women when it comes to nose jobs and I, I don't
0: I, I think Iranian men also care about the way they look but I would say that you, I, I'm we're going to be trafficking in stereotypes here obviously mm-hmm. but there's there's no one who could make the case that Iranians don't spend a lot of time on the way they look and uh, their makeup and all of that, right?
1: But I want to speak to that. Okay. The reason why that's the case is because for the longest time, Iranian women have only had their faces to show. And let's be honest, we as humans need to feel beautiful. We need to be recognized. We need to, you know, and when, when you need to cover up and when the only thing that you can express yourself through is your face, that's that becomes the real. that becomes the social uh, fabric that you live in. Mm. So Iranians have had their... When I went to school, I started school when I was six. And since day one, I had to wear this really ugly uniform Mm. and this really Mm. ugly scarf. And every day when I went to school, the only way I could uh, express myself was through my shoes and through my face. So I would do something weird. Like I would put maybe like a little... um, diamonds sure like stick it, yes whatever right? and this
0: this has been beautifully said by people like marriage on yeah. this which, is a, yeah exactly, of course For
1: which you were also like you we would also be punished in school for like you couldn't even do that so when so after school or or, or when it when it when it became about going out and looking nice the only thing that you could work on was your face and was your face and so um, I think I think that justifies why you would think that but I don't think on on social media that is the case I think that on social media everyone around the world uses all f- the filters the reason why you might think that is because um, because of the nose jobs and the <laughs> facial surgeries that you know well, it's not just do. that
0: it's that it I mean look You've made a very compelling case for, for 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 Iranian women and expression and all of that, but I'm talking about Instagram, and I'm talking about being honest. Do you really not see people on Instagram who? Are almost unrecognizable because of the filters they're using, and aren't uh-huh. a lot of those people your Iranian friends?
1: But not just—I—I'm um, more <laughs> exposed to Iranians because most of my friends are Iranians. Okay. but the ones who are not Iranian are Do also the same using. Thing. Okay, you know, fair.
0: If you—if that's your—that's your, that's your my, my certainly my this is an unscientific study. I'm just <laughs> I'm just kind of uh, assuming it. Nick, let's go to you, and then Pega. Uh,
2: it's not just an Iranian phenomenon, but also. Uh, we have to think about how many plastic surgeons we have in LA who are Iranian as well and who have passed this um, sensitivity to many non-Iranian women in LA. I've seen it a lot. So uh, it's Iranian and not Iranian. But uh, as long as we have too many plastic surgeons who are making money out of this and many uh, Iranian women and men are actually their uh, customers, whatever you want to call it. I would agree with you on this. It seems that we hate we
0: hate our own realities. We don't like the <laughs> picture you. we see in the mirror. Thank you. Exactly, this round fucking face of mine. If I could find a filter, I don't. I just don't know how to use them no and by the way I found it interesting so far the two of you start talking about women I didn't say anything about women I, I was talking about Instagram filters mm-hmm. and by the way I know a lot of dudes who use yeah. those filters so yeah. I, I, and they happen to be Iranian and maybe that's just the wrong sample size but I don't see my Canadian non-Iranian friends doing it as much that's just uh maybe because they're indie musicians and that would be bad for the brand but um <laughs> Pega go ahead
3: um, you know what? I think technology as a whole has changed the way that we form our identities, represent ourselves, and relate to others. And Are you reading something? No. Did you write something? Oh well, right. I have my notes prepared, okay, but all right, you know, I'm yeah. going off my notes, of course. Um, <laughs> Listen, I come prepared, all right? <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, you don't call me smart pega for nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. i uh, got to live up Who to the Who wrote this? Who writes your stuff? Is Myself. It? Oh, thank okay. you very much. Right, yeah. um, but what I was trying to say is that the reality is that technology has changed all of this. I mean, let's look, you know, predating these, these these apps and filters and things like that. The only thing that we really had to compare to was celebrities and the the individuals who had access to those plastic surgeons. And so society as a whole would be comparing themselves to celebrities and individuals who went through those proce- <coughs> procedures. Excuse me. Now you have 10, 12 year twelve-year-olds who have access to a smartphone, mm. and all of a sudden they're comparing themselves to these, you know, augmented images that are, are really not reality and nowhere near mm. that. So. I don't know if I would agree that it's just Iranians. I think I, I didn't say it was just no, Iranians. No, well, not even I more so characterizations. Iranians. I'm sorry. Let me let me backtrack. I said
0: I had a suspicion that this resonates with Iranians.
3: I, even that I don't know if I agree. I okay. think it resonates with everyone because of the fact that we're constantly comparing ourselves to this bigger idea and this bigger image now. Again, it goes back to access to information and technology and all of these things. I think everyone across the world now has access to things like these filters and as a result everyone on every single scale is continuously comparing themselves to it. Now, you know, what Raha said about about face and, and Iranian women in particular, that that really actually, you know, made me think for a second because I had never really thought about that approach to it, and why maybe for myself as well. Mm-hmm. When I'm looking at my Instagram profiles, right. and because I have more Iranian friends than anything else, do I see more of that? But that definitely makes sense.
0: Raha, how do you feel in general as somebody as a as a marketing guru,
3: <laughs> as
0: a genius of the uh, <laughs> the digital world? <laughs>
1: you don't think you're overplaying that? Yes, I do think <laughs> I'm yes, overplaying it. Yes, yeah. yeah.
0: Don't do it. <laughs> uh, uh, how do you h- how do you feel about these 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 filtered and filters and the filtered existence we uh, we live in.
1: How do I feel about the filtered existence that we live in? Um, I think they're, they're just becoming okay. There are these tools that that are created, and then we always find a way to express ourselves um, through them. And this is just another example of that. If in the future we have we have a tool which can basically like um, allow other people to see you in a different way. Then we start creating in that space and in that platform, and we start expressing ourselves. We are ex- expressive creatures, and we like being different. And I think that's where all of this is coming from. Mm. And um, just because we it's have this a very this
0: generous team. way of looking at it, though. You don't want it to. I mean, what about the the pressure that um, that a multi-billion-dollar beauty industry places on all of us to look a certain way, and that people are now using. Digital devices to to post incorrect versions of themselves mm-hmm. to feel better about themselves doesn't that seem a bit dystopian?
1: I, I c- never yeah go ahead sorry can no I no I, no let Rah- answer that first. I, sure. I never said that there are there are non uh, there are no um, um, sh- like shortcomings in this technology and there is nothing bad about it. Obviously, with every technology, there are, there are pros and cons. And um, th- we call in design, we call them disruptions. So mm. every tool or every technology that is created comes with pros and comes with disruptions. And it's only through understanding those disruptions and creating something beyond it that we go to the next step. Can we remove social media from our lives and remove all this technology? Absolutely not, mm. we can never go back. We can, we can learn from it and we can understand where we're going wrong and we can t- create something and on, on the side of it, that helps.
0: D- just as a sidebar, uh, um, I don't know if it's this Thursday or next Thursday, but one of them, I have um, Kushiar joining me, for, uh, who's this um, amazing Iranian-American uh, um, Tech guru mm-hmm. and uh, and specifically with AI, I want to be. Mm-hmm. I, I, we're going to have a conversation. Of the whole episode focused on AI, and the should we should we be scared of AI? One of the things I want to and where it's leading. And one of the things I want to put to him is is how newer generations, younger generations, like a kid who's ten now. Mm-hmm how they're even gonna know who they're interacting with in a few years, like between, forget filters, deep fakes, like complete like creations of AI, yeah. like you, if you're meeting someone for a coffee, like <laughs> <laughs> who are they and how will you know before you see them in person? And will you ever even see the version of them in person until it's, mm. I don't know. Um, too late. Yes, Pega. Well,
3: I was just going to add that, you know, we're talking about filters and, you know, the the Mona Insta and the image that you posted, which I thought was hilarious, by the way. But I think it's so much more than just filtering an image of your face, I mean, if you look at social media, I feel like people are filtering their lives. How often do we talk about, um, you know, the, the misleading realities of social media profiles and the fact that people are only putting certain aspects of their life onto social media profiles and you don't really know what it is that their, their true life, is really all about if you will so I think it's expanded so much more than just a filter on your face it's actually affected society as a whole and and this
0: is like we gotta have at least a a series on this let alone an episode but you know what the when I first saw that image and why I wanted to post it of the of the Mona Lisa and the and the Mona Insta it's the thing about the Mona Lisa is I mean I know she's of a different time Mm -hmm. where and fashions change and so to versions of beauty but the whole point of Mona Lisa is she's imperfect Mm -hmm. like she's not perfect right she's and so the idea that what the commentary that I felt like this cartoonist was making was this the search for perfection leads us to change something that's beautifully imperfect and turn it into something Cookie cutter, or something perfectly ugly, well, or perfectly, (laughs) um, indistinguishable from Mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and that that was that very much resonated. It's the the loss of, um, in music, I would say, like. One of the great things about punk rock music, or you know, music of, uh, uh, it's that it's imperfect. That there, that there's the meter goes out, or the bass guy hits the mm-hmm. wrong note, or whatever. And that if you take that and create it by in, entirely by machines, you're gonna miss those imperfections. Mm-hmm. That it's not gonna have soul. Right. And Mona Lisa's face is lost, and <laughs> when it's turned into an Instagram filtered version, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe I'm, you know, going too far with that. Go ahead, Nick. May I add something? Yes.
2: Yeah uh have you ever gone to uh south korea
0: no but i know that uh well go ahead you, you say what you're going to say about it. So,
2: i went know. to south korea right after uh the gangnam style brouhaha <laughs> and uh, I, I actually brouhaha. Went...
0: you mean the song the video yeah the, yeah. yeah the song yeah was that a brouhaha it was a hit In song a way,
2: yes <laughs> you know millions of people were just following it right and it became a phenomenon in, in 2012, 2013. So I went to Seoul at, on my way to Cambodia. Um, and uh, I spent a day in Seoul. And I went to the Gangnam uh, neighborhood. Mm. And I saw all those uh, people who didn't look like uh, what you knew as Korean people. They had big eyes. They had brown or red hair. And they wanted to show something different they were it's i'm not sure i can say they were ashamed of their uh, original looks but they didn't want to look like what they what their parents looked like and when you went on the subway you could see different generations looked differently hmm. so i think we have to study um a little bit more and further to see how has this worked out in other um nations, other cultures, and how other people want to filter themselves to to, to look differently. So you would have an other um, judgment, or whatever you can call it, about them. It is a little bit complicated, but I still think that uh, many Iranians would love to use filters.
0: And what did you say earlier? You said something like, we are uncomfortable with our reality or something? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, this didn't start with Instagram. I mean, or... Uh, frankly, I don't even think it started with the revolution. and, and No, having it wear started charted. with the
2: mirror when you looked. When,
0: when, <laughs> I mean, start with parents saying, you know, you, you, you're you going to get dark. Like, you know, we want to look whiter or we want to look at like this idealized version of a Western kind of look for many Iranians. Look, we're yeah.
2: Iranian men and we have big noses. So yeah, Exactly. You
0: know. And I still regret not getting that nose job at the age of 16. <laughs> would have solved me so much heartache throughout the years, you know? Um, yeah. Although I always say I grew into my nose. So, you know, I, the nose was the same size when I was 12. It was just like <laughs> this little kid with okay. this huge nose, terrifying people. Um, all right, let's get to point number four before we end off here. I've called this Pahlavi positioning. And, um, I don't know, I don't exactly know where I want to go with this, other than to say that Reza Pahlavi, the Shah son, the Crown Prince, however you want to term him, did a very extensive interview on the Patrick Bet David podcast this week. Patrick is a very successful Iranian-American entrepreneur. He's also a very clear Republican. He's definitely on the right of the spectrum and has been a Trump supporter. He's been very outspoken in that way. Uh, and I thought it was interesting, the positioning of Reza Pahlavi, Doing this interview, why was it interesting? One, because first of all, it was it was, I guess you could say. I mean, Patrick Bed Bada- Bada- David presented it as very comprehensive. It, it was indeed in the sense that it was long, but it was a very favorable interview. It wasn't really a challenging uh, interview, so he kind of went somewhere where um, it would feel s- safe, maybe. Um, but I also thought, in terms of what it said about where Avi is right now, and um, I, I don't know if you guys saw the whole interview, but um but, but in terms of taking a side, being being, you know, positioning himself on a side of the spectrum. and and I feel like we've increasingly seen over the past year, um, Reza Pahlavi and Yasmin Pahlavi be be more and more clear about where they're at on some of the bigger issues. Like for and right now, the the big issue being Israel and Palestine, et cetera, they've been very clear that they're in the pro-Israel mm-hmm. camp. Reza Pahlavi met with Netanyahu not that long ago. Yasmin Pahlavi was on the on the march uh, last week in Washington for the pro-Israel march. And I I feel like that's um it's interesting because I feel like if if Reza Pahlavi was a figurehead then that would be less appropriate or understandable mm-hmm. because he's not there then representing all Iranians and I feel like somewhere like last year or over a year ago there would be more of a tendency to to be the representative of all Iran if he's a political figure or a politician it makes a lot more sense and in some ways I'm I'm. Uh, I I think that they should be applauded for being very clear. Like, there's no fence sitting. There's no sort of mealy-mouthed. You know, this is well. We, you know, we'll we'll speak to all sides or whatever. This is like no. Here we are. This is where we stand on this thing. And we're, and but it seems like it's an interesting evol- evolution. Uh, to to a, a particular place on the spectrum. I, am I reading too much into it, or do you do you understand what I'm saying, Nick Nikoeng?
2: Um, Look, I think that, first of all, Reza Pahlavi wants to say that he's different from the regime that has always been for the Palestinian cause. That's one thing. So he wants to say, I'm not the regime. The other thing is that he understands that if we want to move towards, let's say, a different ruling system in Iran, we need to get um, connected in a way to Israel and consider Israel as an ally. But the thing is when it comes to what happened in the last few weeks, um, many people who are, let's say, uh, have a tendency towards the right side of politics here in, um, uh, Washington are supporting Israel and especially after uh, Reza Pahlavi's trip to Israel, you could see that uh, many of his supporters are uh, really approving this move. Of course, Reza Pahlavi um, is not waiting for people on the left to come and support him because they have never supported him. And I don't think they will ever support him as well. Those uh, who are in the political left before the revolution or after the revolution. So, um, yeah, he's, he's. Is that true uh, though?
0: Is that true? Would you say? I mean, this time last year, maybe not the far left, but don't you feel like that there were people all over the spectrum seeing him as a um, as an important sort of opposition leader? Uh, I mean, Many they may people, still be seeing, seeing him that way. I'm just I, I I don't know that he was discounted by everybody except for the right.
2: No, but there are people who consider him as a, a, a political leader, but they don't like him or they mm. don't like his cause. Many uh, former communists, many socialists. Sure,
0: that's true, yeah.
2: Um, but the other thing is that there were, let's say, lots of former pro-reformist uh, students in Washington or other places who were trying to um, examine him or were, were trying to see what he's talking about or what he is about or what are his... Um, followers talking about. At the end of the day, I don't think uh, Pahlavi was a powerful magnet for those individuals. And right now, after a year, uh, you could see many of them are actually distancing themselves from uh, even whatever positions they had last year.
0: Hmm. Pekka, what do you
3: think? Um, i didn't watch the entire interview um i saw clips of it here and there and the first thing i noticed is that you know i felt like the the interview was geared towards non-iranians more than anything else just because of the deep dive into the story of the history the history of of, of reza pahlavi and, and the way that you know what happened with his father and how they went into exile and what happened to him thereafter and all of these things so the clips that I saw were... were and that may
0: be the case. Patrick David has a massive following. Yeah. And most of them probably are non-Iranian. Exactly. So that, that might have yeah. been part of it. Yeah. And
3: then, funny enough, I was actually looking at the, the link to the the interview on YouTube, and I just had a quick look at the comments because I always like to look at the comments, especially when it's anything to do with Iran and Iranian politics and things like that, um, just to see the, the commentary and the divide. And it was shocking to me that 90% of the comments were from non-Iranians. That was very eye-opening to me. And I thought... And what were they saying? You know, I saw people... um, There was one comment in particular where it was like um, a woman who said that she was Irish and she had lived in Iran um, for the last years of when the Shah was there. And and she was kind of mentioning her experience. And then um, there were other people, someone from Puerto Rico who had said that, you know, they were a follower of, of the family. And that was so interesting to see. And Again, just complimentary mm-hmm. comments. And I think, again, that just goes towards, you know, the, the way the interview was done and the information that was presented. But that was really interesting to me to see that that might have been the intent behind the mm-hmm. interview.
0: Well, we're also at the point, I should say, from a media perspective where Reza Pallavi has appeared in so many yes. different places that the detractors are not going to run to watch an interview with mm-hmm. Reza Pallavi. So you are going to get a lot of supporters watching That's it right. and or a new audience and he performs very well i mm-hmm. mean he was, you know you speaking seems like a really nice guy when he's talking and he's you know saying logical things yeah. you know, and certainly in contrast to the regime he's like exactly. a dream you know like so <laughs> uh, so yeah
3: and, and you know I think we talked about this a few episodes back that we mentioned that you know he's become kind of the go-to for non-Iranian media yes he's become the individual that yes. you know a lot of the the media outlets are reaching out to him and, yes. and asking for not interviews. necessarily
0: in the Iranian media no non- but Iranian in the non-Iranian media, media exactly. that's what I've I feel Raho,
1: um I watched parts of the almost half of the interview and what what came uh, came across for me was how great he's marketing the regime that his father was leading and he's like giving all these perspectives of that time and what he was living in and I kept thinking to myself well you know what happened then why would have people done this you know because if it's so wonderful and if it's so amazing then what was wrong with us? So that's the question that keeps popping in my head. And at one point, uh, one part, mm, one of the things he said was, "No, I don't want to. I don't want to be part of a regime that um, failed, or I don't. I don't want to become the Shah." But then the question is, why are you saying things like, "The streets are yours. Go and fight." You know, like almost like a leader or the things that Khomeini used to say before coming to was New he Ireland. saying no? those in, in this interview not part? in this uh. interview but recently he he made a comment on do not leave the streets kids go to the streets mm. Tre- streets are yours and then he comes into this interview and he's like no i don't want to be i don't want to be the shah i mm-hmm. don't want to go back um, um. I don't
0: know. I, that was an interesting thing that he seemed to say. Uh, is that not breaking news? I don't want to go back to Iran. Is it, I mean, uh, Nick... well, he said in this interview actually. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that
2: look, he when he said the street is yours was in the uh, uh, one year anniversary of Massa's death, and uh, he had asked people to go to the streets, and he expected a revolution. Yeah. He expected an uprising. It didn't Mm -hmm. happen. We had this talk. Do you remember? Yeah. In that time. And I said, I don't expect nothing new to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is the whole thing. Um, uh, His advisors are nuts. (laughs) And that's a big problem that. Why do you say that? Look, he has chosen the worst people possible to advise him uh one of the things that i admire obama is that he chose a group of smart people who created one of the biggest campaigns in the history of the united states and they actually built a movement
0: but what's the misstep that leads you to say that his advisor or his advisors are but nuts
2: he has lost uh the momentum hmm. he's uh some in in Persian we call it for satsuz uh, somebody who burns the opportunities, and uh, when you have a smart group of people who understand uh, better than you and can help you, they could possibly build a movement around you because uh, you know um, uh, Mr. Ahundi, who is an MP yeah. member of Parliament in Sweden uh, Sweden. Uh, We're on the top of one of the mountains in Switzerland this summer. And uh, we were talking about Iranian politics. And also glaciers, but one of the things that he said that look. Reza Pahlavi, if he wants or he if he doesn't want, he's one of the major players on the political chess scene. So he's there, but if he if he wants to be effective, he has to Understand that he needs to make some smart moves. I haven't seen smart moves from Reza Pahlavi in the last year or something.
0: Not not in even the first six months of the uprising. No, no. no. I I disagree. I think that. No, look. I, I think. I, I, the, I, I think what? until the Manchur sort of era, if you will, <laughs> there was a, they, I, I actually think. He was um had this patrician kind of like I'm I'm here I'm supporting and I, I thought he acquitted himself really well and, and I think he didn't but, move at all that's why we
2: thought that he may make well his
0: maybe start. but maybe that was I mean, that's I could make the argument that that's a good thing to just yes, you know don't 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 declare yourself just kind of be there Um and and be a symbolic you know uh, heir apparent or whatever you want to you know say I, I also th- I mean I I do take your point because I think there's certainly It'd be hard not to say that there's been a missed opportunity for to, for Reza Pallavi at this point. But on the other hand, isn't it also Nick a, a measure of where we're at in general? I mean, if Hamid Smailoun could draw a hundred thousand people in Berlin at this time last year, I don't think he could do that today. I mean, I think that was a this one is...
2: time that was a one-time what
0: are they call uh, one right. Uh, so i mean who's still who has the momentum still does anybody still have the momentum <laughs> like no. no no right yeah no. sorry that's rah-
2: a problem it, it seems that uh, we urbanians are uh, want a uh I, I don't know a miracle mm-hmm. to see a miracle coming out of one of these leaders and then to follow that prophet mm-hmm. but it doesn't work like that in the real world so when we understand that, oh, the uh, that uh, that in- individual has his own uh, faults or problems and is not a prophet, we just leave the guy alone.
0: All right. All right. Or or strongmen, we like that too. Apparently, throughout history, yeah, (laughs) Uh, yes, Uh, Pega and then Raha.
3: I was just going to say that I think it comes back to what we've said, you know, time and time again, in, in recent weeks about where we are as Iranians, whether inside Iran or outside, and how we feel with with regards to the uprising. I mean. (coughs) <coughs> you certainly don't see people out on the streets the same way that you did, you know, eight months, 10 months ago. And yeah. there's so much that has happened. And, and rightly so, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that there's an expectation that people should be still out there because of the the atrocities that have taken place, the murders, the mm. imprisonments, the torture, so on and so forth. But we, we've seen a shift. We're, we're really mm. not in the same space emotionally or um, even, you know, our heart's just not mm. in the same place, if you will. Yeah. And I think that has a lot to do with, what we're seeing in quote unquote the leadership as well.
0: Mass up, mass off.
3: Yeah, I agree with Pega
1: and Nick, um, obviously. There's no question that Iranians are not united. But um, I remember very vividly that last year there was a point where everybody was waiting for him to comment and come out and send a video and like do something. And he didn't, to the point that people were sharing tweets and and uh, Instagram posts on, oh my God, leave the sky alone. He doesn't want to do it. I remember, like I remember people posting his picture and writing.
0: So then he can't. He's damned if he does. He's damned if he doesn't. Doesn't because <laughs> no, he, he
1: should have at that time. That, that's where I really agree with Nick. He, he he had the opportunity to make a difference. Well, that's what he's doing him. now. He's not. This is not the time. And oh. the momentum is not there. It's I don't think it's it's the right time to do it. It's kind of like, OK, now that the storm has passed, you're like, oh, let's go. You know, like you you lost the, the chance. Well,
0: he was I mean, there was those few glorious. I mean, there was that L.A. rally where he was <laughs> hugging people. And, you know, it just seemed like that that we you know, we're on the way to Tehran. Let's go. Yeah. We're taking over. You. Know.
2: Let me add something. Uh, sure. Gian, uh, 11 years ago, I interviewed him about SAVAK, about how uh, political prisoners were tortured. And he was clearly against SAVAK and um, anything that undermines human rights. And in this interview, mm-hmm. you see another uh, rhetoric or uh, s- mindset. It seems that people around him are glorifying the years before revolution so he may have forgotten what he said 11 years ago and thank god i have that inter- that interview on youtube hmm. and I, I just watched it yesterday i'll send it to you it's interesting that right.
0: uh, is it three and a half hours long I, I only <laughs> watch the three and a half hour ones now no is no it, it? It, 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 sorry this one is short <laughs> and by it's the really way short. i i feel like it's not just the um The loss of momentum—it's kind of worse than that in terms of the way Iranians are feeling. Mm -hmm. It's a cynicism.
3: Yeah, it's Mm -hmm.
0: like fuck it. You know that—that's what really hurts, right? It's not just like it didn't happen. Let's see what's coming around the corner. You know, we're all—it's—it's—it's more like, ugh, I give up. You know, like, and that's really. I, and and i know that there are people out there who aren't mm. feeling that way and who are still in the trenches and who are still god love them at that every saturday out there pro- protesting or whatever but but that that seems to be the prevailing kind of feeling sometimes and it's a really sad one and right? i think
3: there's so many people who are just sick and tired of hearing such horrific news coming out from inside iran the the deaths the killings the torture the rape the hangings the harassment of families it, it just it's never ending and that it, but that's a prescription deflation.
0: for inaction yeah right i mean you could say yeah and the
2: regime is executing people on a high on a higher rate these mm-hmm.
3: days every six hours
0: yeah how about that too right yeah here we but are talking to, about too much, much being to released and...
2: attacking israel
0: what's that
2: are whenever something happens out of iran and people are paying attention to these events you see more executions
1: exactly mm-hmm. my dad always says when they do something like releasing prisoners, there he's like, "Nobody that then. Like right. they've done, they're doing something malicious again.
0: Well, on that high note.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yes, great way to end things.
0: <laughs> what a thrill! What a thrill. It's. Um, I have to say that was a really, really interesting conversation the whole way through. Thank you, guys. That was really, really, really great. Nick, it was a, a pleasure to have you joining us from Washington. And I hope you'll do it again. The pleasure is all mine. You know, you're so generous. Uh, it's it's great. To, to have you as part of these things, thank you for doing this. I enjoy it. resident Raho the triple R. Thank you as thank ever. You. I didn't. I forbid you to use your iPad in front of you, and <laughs> yes. and you did well without it. You I'm see, sure. liberated from your device, your <laughs> screen. And Pega, even though you were reading everything you said oh, today, yeah. uh, <laughs> I appreciate you. And as ever, I, I
3: love good. these statements. Every episode, it's something. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm
0: still try to figure out what Uh, thank you Pega thank Thank you you, everybody and this is full time for the Rook Roundtable today our website as always rookmedia.com is where you go to uh, see all of our previous episodes and commentary etc rookmedia.com thanks to the amazing team who put this show together Super Parisa, Talented Anahita, Savvy Roham, Methodical Kave, Bearded Omid, Smart Pega, Resonant Raha. Thanks to Nick Nikaheng Kosar today. Follow him on various platforms that you can find him on just like Khamenei. You can find him on various (laughs) platforms. Uh, Thank you to all of you out there supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe if you haven't done so already on any or all of our platforms you can find rook media on instagram at rook media You can find me on instagram at gian gomeshi in the meantime as ever if you will mizunbashi